Okay, welcome back. We're so glad to see you here. Um, we are privileged today to have Scott Murish to minister with us. Some of you who've been here around here a long time might remember that he was, he and Trisha came, what, what did we say, 12 years ago to do like a summer kids crusade. And so that was there for many years, they were involved in children's ministry and working with Royal Family Kids Camps, which is a summer camp to children in a foster care system. So they have a huge heart for just for ministry for everybody, especially though for young people. And currently they have, they are channeling that into working at our district campgrounds. And so Scott is the director of our district campgrounds. So he is here this morning to um, share a little bit about the campground, but also just to share what's on his heart. So Scott, welcome. And we're really glad that you're here. Thank you so much, Amy. Uh, it's a real privilege to be here. The, the, the main reason that I was asked to come and speak was Pastor Brent, as you may know, is our assistant superintendent for the Nebraska Ministry Network. All the Assemblies of God churches in Nebraska, there's over 80 of them, voted your pastor to be the assistant superintendent, which is a really big authority uh, job. But the thing is, is the higher your level of authority the more your level of servanthood. And Pastor Brent serves as a servant in such a great way. So I just want to say thank you for loaning us as the Nebraska Ministry Network, over 80 churches in the state of Nebraska. Thank you for loaning us on a part-time basis the wisdom and input and passion of your pastor and his family. So Amy, what a blessing you guys are to the state. And uh, we thank you for for letting us be here. So he was to be on our winter tour until he got sick this week, uh, traveling to all of the regions, the 10 regions of Nebraska sections, if you will, to share the vision of what God's doing through the state of Nebraska. One of the things that we've been doing through the state, you may have heard, is the renovation and restoration of our district campgrounds called the Crossing Retreat Center in Lexington. In 1941, all of the churches in Nebraska got together and said, we want to have a place where we can have camp meetings, uh, conferences, kids camps, youth camps, uh, meetings of all sorts for three purposes. Number one is the powerful preaching of God's word. Number two is to provide a place where people can experience, be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and sense God's work on their lives. And number three is to have a place where people can can hear God's voice speak to them personally about a call into ministry and missions. And your church is so faithful in sending workers every year, not only to the girls' events, the women's events, men's events, but to camp. And I'm seeing some camp workers that we've had here, people who have served before. Uh, so thank you. Students who have been, those who have come as counselors, even Walt worked in the kitchen a couple summers for us, and, or a couple summers ago for us, and it was great having all the people here. So I'm going to start by uh, introducing my message today. My message is, uh, it's kind of a twist on the calling of the first disciples or the great catch of fish uh, in Luke chapter 5. I title this message, Giant Steps of Faith, because each of us have taken giant steps of faith in our lives. It might have been a giant step of faith to decide to go to college or, or go into a career. It might have been a giant step of faith to begin coming to this church and say, well, I, I, I'm going to step in the doors and see what God does. It might have been a giant step of faith 
uh, like Matthew proposing to his wife and uh, and having the courage to say to get down on that knee and hold a ring up and say, "Will you marry me?" Every one of us takes giant steps of faith in our lives, but um, this message today is is about giant steps that the disciples took to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. Before I get into the message, I want to do a little selfish plug for the campground. Um, if you would cue up the video, Chris, in the sound booth and get that ready to go. Um, yeah, the video of the camp, not the World War II canteen one. That one will be a, bit, a little bit later. So let's do the crossing retreat. We'll go ahead and pull that one off and go to the crossing retreat center one if you would. Um, people ask me, this is my giant step of faith. Four years ago, uh, five camp seasons ago, my wife and I were asked to consider being the directors of the campground. Now, what that meant was we had a big challenge to renovate buildings, to restore the camp ministry, to, to join a network called the Christian Retreats Network for the purpose of getting more people to the camp. And we had 14 guest groups our first summer. 14 guest groups. That's all the youth camps and other retreats that the district did and things like that. But that was not enough to sustain financially to sustain the camp. So all the, ca- all the churches in Nebraska got together and said, we are going to contribute to some launch money, some launch funds, so that we can see the camp renovated. As a result, over the last four years, nearly three-quarters of a million dollars have been donated by Nebraska churches and matched by businessmen who are on our board and different uh, contractors who have donated labor and time to do things at the camp to make things happen. But what's it like to run the place? Well, imagine if your church had 24 acres, 24 buildings, 500 beds, 80 air conditioning units, 139 toilets, over 500 faucets, showers, and fixtures, and an indoor swimming pool, a go-kart track, a 500-seat dining center, uh, and venues like crazy. How many staff would it take you to do that? We've been doing it with two full-time staff, and two part-time staff, and over 280 this year, volunteers from the district, from the network of churches that have given over 5,000 hours of donated labor. So God's doing great miracles. I'm just going to show a little video, if you will. Uh, You can roll that. This is just a visual depiction of the Crossing Retreat Center.
Amen. You might have seen yourself, if you're a young person or a volunteer, in that video. I think I might have seen Olivia in there, So, which is great. Um, So our first summer, we had 14 weeks of camps. This last summer, we had 36 weeks of camps, 36 guest groups, over 3,000 guests who stayed just right about 6,500 nights of camps. That's how many people would stay in the beds. I call them heads in the beds or people in the pillows. And and we served over 24,000 meals out of our dining center. God has done great things in refreshing, renovating, and seeing miracles happen in people's lives being touched. And so that was our giant step of faith. My wife said, honey, please, I don't want to cook in the kitchen and I don't want to clean toilets. But you know what? All of us cook in the kitchen and all of us clean toilets. And I have learned the joy of serving. It's one of my favorite things to be there every single day. Well, turn, in, turn with me in the Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And you can queue up that next video and get it ready. I'll, I'll call on it in a couple of minutes. Um, in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, it is just an incredible space where Jesus calls the first disciples. And I call this the unofficial first feeding of the 5,000 because there's a great catch of fish that happens here and something miraculous takes place at the end that, that I just think is, is an incredible place to, to dwell on. But I'm going to read from Luke 5. And it says this, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, otherwise known as the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets. For a catch. And I'm going to read the rest of the chapter here. You can read along if you like or just listen. But Simon Peter answered, Simon answered, he said, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come to them and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. This is where the giant step of faith comes in, where they pulled the boats up onto shore, left everything, and followed him. There comes a point in our lives, I had mentioned before, proposals, deciding to go to college, starting a new career, uh, even asking someone out for, asking a girl out for the date for the first time, or a guy, you know, however that works. Each of us come to some point in our lives where there is a giant step of faith that we have to take. And if we do those giant steps of faith out of our own strength, what happens? Usually it's a, it's a short-lived step or something that's like, okay. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and say, Lord, give me the strength to take a step of faith. I want to do this thing. But Lord, I want you to direct my steps. God works in the miraculous. 
Let me take you back to uh, the beginning of World War II, December 7th, 1941, a day that will forever live in infamy. At the launch of World War II, when America was brought into the war, there were troops that were being gathered together, armies that were being trained and mustered and began to travel. And those troops would travel along the central corridor of the United States, east to west, west to east, uh, the train track that runs right past the campground at Lexington. Sometimes they say that we call it the crossing because there's a railroad crossing there and the trains blow their whistle every night, right? If you've heard them. But uh, when the soldiers were being mustered to war, there was a young girl whose name was Ray Wilson. And Ray Wilson was from North Platte, Nebraska, and she had heard that Company D of uh, one of the Army companies that her brother, she thought, was going to be in was going to be on a train that was going to be stopping in North Platte. So Ray got together some girlfriends, and they baked some baked goods and put together baskets of goodies and chewing gum and, and magazines and books and things. So they brought these baskets to the train platform in North Platte, to the train platform, when she thought that train was coming through in December of 1941. And when the train arrived, she thought she was going to bro- be meeting her brother, but it was the wrong Company D. It wasn't her brother's army troop, army company. But there she stands with these baskets of goodies on a train platform. So she and these other girls walked onto the train, passed out the stuff, and were so moved by the experience of gratefulness of those soldiers as they were mustering, as they were getting ready to be shipped off to war, in five minutes on a train platform, changed her world, Ray Wilson's world, forever. So the next day, she wrote a letter to the editor of the North Platte Telegraph newspaper, and it went something like this, as a paraphrase. She said, she said, last night we met the train that was carrying troops off to war, and we brought them things and it was such an experience that I think, just like our mothers and grandmothers did in World War I to provide a canteen here in North Platte, I think we can do it again. Anyone who would like to join me, please meet at such and such a time and respond to this article in the newspaper. We would like to form a canteen to serve the troops as they're heading off to war. Well, what she didn't anticipate was an overwhelming response and from that fateful night in late December, I can't remember the exact date, it might have been a Christmas Eve night, when they met that first official troop and they opened the North Platte uh, World War II Railroad Canteen at the depot. From that night forward, they met every single train through the entirety of World War II, up to 10,000 soldiers a day that they served a hot cup of coffee, a sandwich, a popcorn ball, a piece of cake or pie, and this was, now remember, this was the time of rationing. So sugar and eggs and flour and gasoline, all these things were at short supply. So for people to sacrifice, to give to these soldiers was true sacrifice. But you can see, I'm going to show a little video here in just a moment if that's ready to queue up. You can see the names, if you look on a board that's in the background, the names of over over 120 cities in Nebraska, Colorado, Wyoming, even as far as the panhandle of Oklahoma, where people would come and bring pounds of butter and 
pounds of homemade mayonnaise that they made with turkey eggs because chicken eggs were such a commodity. Angel food cakes also made with turkey eggs. Uh, Anything that they could. Stories of trucks, pickup trucks that would go from miles and miles away and they would go to every mile section where a farmstead was and people would come, farm wives would come with a basket that they'd put in the back of the truck and a cup of gasoline that they could pour in the gas tank because even gas was rationed and they would take of their own supply just enough to pour in that gas tank as the truck went mile after mile and it would be enough to get the truck to North Platte, unload everything that was in it and then go back to where it came from to do it again at another time. Miracles of astounding proportions because over 6 million soldiers were served over the course of World War II. There's a guest book, a log book that they've kept in North Platte, book after book after book of people's signatures. 6 million soldiers and service personnel were served during the entirety of that war because one woman, Ray Wilson, decided to take a giant step of faith. Such incredible things that took place. Well, I'm going to ask uh, Chris to just play on this video. Hopefully it will translate and, uh, and go forward and you'll be able to see it. But let's just watch this really quick. Highways 30 and 83 intersect in North Platte, and Interstate 80 runs through the south part of town. 24,733 people are proud to call North Platte their home. There's really no way to know just how important the North Platte Canteen was to the young men and women that were on their way to and from the battlefields of World War II. The North Platte Canteen played a major role in the war effort from December of 1941 through April of 1946. The smiles said it all. When the train stopped in North Platte, it was time to replenish your belly and your spirit. This is where all the action took place. Once the train would come to a stop in front of the North Platte Depot, the troops would jump out of the passenger cars and run straight to this building. This was the canteen, and over a five-year period, six million troops passed through these doors. I can see organized chaos. Jim Griffin can picture the scene clearly in his mind. Sometimes this is the first time they've been able to get off this train since they left the East Coast or the West Coast. So they might have 10, 15 minutes at the most uh, to get off the train and come into the canteen. Jim says at the height of the war in 44 and 45, the canteen served anywhere from 3 to 5,000 people a day. So you had a lot of troops to feed and those people that were volunteering there that day, they're the ones that made the food too. Five patriotic women led the charge in feeding up to 5,000 people in a 24-hour period. They had to have enormous amounts of food, uh, including like approximately at the height of the war about 70 fried chickens every day. They had to have, you know, like 1,000 bottles of milk. And add in 36 birthday cakes, 100 pounds of ham, 2,000 buns, and 23 pounds of butter every day. All this was an extreme sacrifice, really, on the part of every volunteer. Once inside, it was first come, first served, regardless of age, rank, or skin color. There was no segregation. If a private that was African-American got there first, he got in line first. Um, And the, the colonel got in last, if that was the case. 
and everything was free of charge. It was funded by private donations. It took approximately $150,000 to operate the canteen over five years. So it's well over a million dollars today. And bottom line, it wasn't at all about the dollar figure. It was about supporting the troops when they needed it the most. We have letters written back, you know, hey, we were in foxholes in the middle of the Pacific. We were pretty down, and someone said, hey, do you guys remember the North Platte Canteen? And brought everybody's spirits up. Approximately 55,000 volunteers from 125 communities around North Platte came together to take part in this massive operation. Nebraskans, Kansans, and Coloradoans all came together to offer up coffee, sandwiches, and love. So 15 minutes on a train platform transformed the battlefronts of World War II. In those foxholes and trenches on the beaches, you heard them say, soldiers would say, what did you have when you were at North Platte? Oh, I had a pheasant salad sandwich and a popcorn ball. Or I had a, a turkey sandwich and a piece of peach pie that was homemade. And uh, there was one girl in Tryon, Nebraska, which is just north of North Platte, she would put let she would put little slips of paper with names and addresses of girls in the popcorn balls and they would write back and forth there's a couple i'm not sure if they're still living but that were married because somebody a soldier read an address and started uh, being pen pals with this gal came back from the war and got married because of a popcorn ball but 15 minutes of love on a train platform transformed the the war because of hope and love when people walk into Radiant Springs Church, that's what they're experiencing. You guys have taken a giant step of faith when Pastor Brent and Amy took that step of faith to, to pioneer this church, to start from zero. Is that, that's correct, right? Almost zero to say, let's do this. You guys took a giant step of faith. Well, what was it like for the disciples that day when they said, let's leave everything and follow him? Well, you've heard the story before when when Simon said to Jesus, Jesus, I don't want, I've been fishing all night. I don't want to cast the nets again. I don't want to throw this net over the side. I just got done folding it, mending it, fixing the repairs. But as he likely rolled his eyes, said, but Jesus, because you say so, I will cast out the nets again. And so Simon, who hadn't yet, hadn't yet been called Peter, Simon takes the net and he rolls it up as he typically did and he hurls it over the side, and as that net spread out over the water and came down with a splash, it began to sink down into the water. And Simon's letting out the rope as he did time and time again before, dozens if not hundreds of times before. He's letting out that rope, saying to himself on the inside, Jesus, I'm probably going to catch a rock or a boot or a sandal or a log, or some other thing, and I'm going to have to fix this net again. But as the rope just kept going down and down and down, and he knew exactly how deep it needed to go, when it finally came to the bottom, he stopped and pulled that rope, and as it cinched around, just like the, hood, the string around the hood, neck of a hoodie or a pair of sweats, as that rope cinched around and closed up, he began to pull it back in. And as he's pulling back in, the rope, he's spooling it behind him, pulling in the rope, and then all of a sudden, uh, uh, and he tugs hard, and he realizes, oh my goodness, 
I have hit something. Oh, yeah, it's probably a rock or a log. But then as he begins to pull and pull and pull on the rope, soon he sees surfacing the top of that net. And if you've seen this scene in the, in the Chosen videos, I don't know if anyone has watched that. If you've seen that scene when the fins and the flippers and the eyes and the mouths of those fish began to appear at the top, all of a sudden Simon realizes this is big. This is bigger than anything they'd ever caught before. And in fact, he said as he began to pull the fish in over the, over the side of the boat, that the boat became so full that it began to sink. And what does it say here? It says that uh, Simon said, Master, we've worked hard all night, but when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So he signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And here's the kicker. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He fell at his knees in a boat so full that it's beginning to sink. So the picture is Simon probably is now waist deep in fish because if he fell to his knees in the boat, he's waist deep in fish and the fish are squirming and slipping and sliming around him. And he's saying, Jesus, go away from me for I'm a sinful man. That boat was overflowing. Now this was in his mind what Simon had dreamt of his entire fishing career. This was the day his boat was coming in. His ship was coming in, and he's thinking to himself, man, that, that new Chevy Silverado pickup, I mean, that new fishing boat that I've been wanting, I can now buy it. That home, that renovation that I wanted to do for my wife, wait, that new table and chairs, probably built by Jesus, that I wanted for my wife because he was a carpenter, I can get that new table and chairs for my wife now because of this giant catch of fish. But he's realizing also, I didn't do this. I had been fishing all night thinking that I knew what I was doing, and Jesus caused the catch. And so here's where I believe, and I don't want to add to Scripture, or I don't, but I'm just imagining that this is probably the scene that took place because the reason they were in a fishing boat was so Jesus could teach the crowds who were standing on the shore. And at this time, when church was over, when the sermon was done, people didn't go out to the restaurant afterwards. They hung around after the sermon was over to see what miracles Jesus was going to do. So the likelihood is the pattern of the people and the pattern of the miracles of Christ were when he was done teaching, the people would stay. And so likely the shore is still lined with witnesses watching the great catch of fish happen. And when they pull both boats to the shore so full what do they do? Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you, make you fishers of men. And they left everything and followed him. It's most likely that Jesus intentionally walked them away from the biggest catch of fish that they have ever had as a step of faith. If you can walk away from the biggest financial day of your life and begin wandering with me, then I know you're with me. That giant step of faith was huge. So I said it's the unofficial feeding of the 5,000. I don't know how many were on the shore that day, but the people were probably looking at Jesus and the disciples walking away and then looking at the boat full of fish, boats full of fish. Jesus, the fish, 
Jesus and the fish. And in their mind going, free fish. And Jesus fed people that day with the miracle. Now, however it happened, I know in the chosen, they invested those, the dollars. And, and, and I, I don't want to add to scripture. I don't want to take away from that interpretation or however it is. But however it was, this was the biggest step of faith in the lives of those disciples who Jesus had called that they had ever taken. And they were transformed forever. When Trish and I took on the role of, of running the campground, we were like, Lord, how are you ever going to do this? And miracle after miracle of air conditioners being donated and roofs, shingles being donated and, and gym floors being donated and things uh, in addition to the cash that has been coming in from the faithfulness of the churches and the faithfulness of financial donors that God has brought, there's been miracle after miracle after miracle because our leaders, Pastor Brent, Pastor Toby Schneckloff, our leaders have taken giant steps of faith. So where are you today in your walk with Christ? What is a step of faith that he's asking you to take? Is it to step into a role of ministry? Is it to volunteer to lead a class? I love the classes that I saw that are, that are happening, the book studies. Is it to take on sharing your faith with a neighbor? What giant step of faith is God calling you to, and how is that going to bear fruit that will be beyond your imagination? So, Amy, if you would bring the worship team back. Uh, I just want to close in a time of saying, Lord, just like people in World War II said, let's do something, and God provided miracle after miracle. And in the disciples' case, Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Is there a step of faith, maybe even not so giant, maybe it's just a small one, that God's saying, would you take it 